0: that's all folks pencils down the season is over pacers close out with a one-on-one weekend how did this weekend look where did the pacers end up and all the draft positioning lots to come on that and some general thoughts on the end of this pacers season it's all coming today on the locked on pacers podcast you are locked on pacers your daily indiana pacers podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast where we of course talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and SI and today it's a sad day. Pacers are done playing games this season. They wrapped it up over the weekend with games against Detroit. And New York, one loss and one win in the opposite order of what I would have expected entering the weekend. We'll talk about all that, Uh, who played well, who didn't, if it means anything going forward. And we'll get into, of course, the draft positioning. A lot of questions about that because the Pacers have five draft picks and four of them. It's still TBD what pick number they will be. We'll get to all of that in the second segment today because there's a lot to it and a lot of timing still to come on that front. At the end, just some general thoughts about this Pacers season and... The upcoming three months ahead that are going to be chaotic. And I know a lot of people talked last summer that they thought it was the most important offseason for the Pacers in franchise history. And I pushed back on them then. And I will say it might be this one. It might be this one. It could be next one, depending on how this offseason goes. We'll get to all that in a later episode. Today, though, let's wrap up this baby. It was a fun final weekend for the Pacers, mostly because of who they had available TJ McConnell, uh hip injury. Uh maybe uh Jalen Smith, knee injury. Um, there were other ones that kept guys out of games. And they had to play with all guys in their first three seasons or 30 plus year olds, except for two guys, Gabe York, who's 29, so it doesn't quite make the 30 club, and wash said, who's in his fourth season, although his second season featured like 15 games. So they basically fit the criteria of all first three, first three-year players or thirty-plus year olds as the Pacers got across the finish line this season—a combo of old and new, if you will—which was kind of fun, honestly, to watch. Like in the Pacers' last game, George Hill was was shooting like crazy, and James Johnson pulled up off the dribble and had like a dribble handoff play with Gabe York and was making all these plays, and it was fun to see some expanded responsibilities for York and everybody. And it's a bummer that the season ended because it would have been really fun to do a segment talking about George Hill going five for six from deep in a win. That was really exciting and interesting. Benedict Matherin on Sunday. Best game of his season, maybe. 26 points. He's exceeded that. He's looked more threatening as a scorer. But the way he did it, he had the line for 13 foul shots, showing exactly why his floor to me is so high because if you can draw fouls, you're going to be impressive. He also had six assists, which has been a big point of issue for him, that his passing hasn't been quite to the level it needs to be. That was a career-slash-season high for him. All impressive stuff from Hill and Matherin on the last game of the season. And if you made me remember these games, these last two games that were completely meaningless the pacers right winning got them nowhere in this final game in fact we'll talk about that to close out this segment losing to the pistons was what it was it was fan appreciation night which was really fun these games were about you know more discovery fact finding development whatever you want to say and so seeing mather and have a significantly better game even from friday to sunday significant for the pacers going into this offseason how can they harness what they saw from mather and in that last game and make it a more nightly thing how can they make that passing more consistent how can they make that scoring Getting to the line, more consistent. Those will be the questions they have to answer. Nembart also had 19 points and nine assists, right? They got great games from young guys. Jordan Wara hit a bajillion threes, especially so in the second half. And this doesn't even account for what they did Friday where they lost to the Pistons. Uh, Pistons were playing for nothing. They'd already locked up the worst record. So Jaden Ivey and Killian Hayes tore apart the Pacers. All stuff that again. It's really hard to have serious basketball takeaways from these games because of who's playing, how it's managed, all sorts of weird rotations that you've never seen before for both teams, really. But, you know, a double-double for Nambard, 16 points for and Buddy Heald was awesome in both Pacers games this weekend, right? A lot of fun and interesting basketball was, in fact, played 15-7 and for Isaiah Jackson against Detroit, right? That was really fun and interesting to see. But in the end, all that was... was glued to eyes wise for the Pacers this weekend was the results right because of how they set it up going in two losses could have been important especially because we'll get to all this in in the second segment but the wizards lost friday right they had a chance to be top six tied with the magic in the lottery but they did win on on sunday so they're tied for seventh with the wizards now and we'll break that down in more detail and a lot of talk about you know the The issues with winning the last game and the standings and like, yeah, it would have been better for them to lose. Like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was also on uh, like unavoidable (laughs) to an extent, like no matter who they had out there against the Knicks, they're just drilling threes. Right. Again, if George Hill goes five for six and you take out George Hill and then Buddy Heald comes in and guess what? He goes five for six from deep. And so you try to take him out. But Matherin is also cooking and making good passes and is extremely effective. And, okay, let's try Aaron East, but, oh, he's 5-for-7 from the field, too. Okay, fine, we'll put in Jordan Wara Oh, he's 4-for-6 from deep 7-for-10 from the field. Like, they they couldn't put in a, a lineup that would have been ineffective enough to actually lose with just how well they shot the ball in this game. Like, George Hill and James Johnson were a combined 8-for-12. Tw- like, they were, solid. they were solid on offense in this game. The defense was atrocious. The Knicks scored 136, but... These were just too good to lose. So I kind of mask the just like, yeah, look, in theory, it would have been not even in theory. Get rid of that. It would have been better for them to lose. There's no doubt about it. They would have been higher in the lottery standings and they'd still have a confusing tiebreaker. But, you know, just simply enough, they would have had a better spot there. But it was literally when you play this well, it's just unavoidable. It's why Detroit. Excuse me. It's why um, Portland beat Minnesota last week. It's why the Wizards won on Friday. Right. It just happens sometimes with how these teams go. The Rockets closed their season winning three straight. The Spurs won their last two games. Like uh, these this is not to sugarcoat or excuse the Pacers at all. It, it just happens sometimes. It's just how it is. It, the NBA players are too good, and players don't tank, and coaches don't tank. They try to win every game. The Pacers tried to beat the Knicks and they did. They played really well and had some really inspiring, in the case of Matherin and, and Nambar, performances for heading into next season. And they had some interesting moments of effectiveness with the bench that have been kind of absent all season and they shot, saw gabe york make another three and make some plays inside the arc that were interesting and like all this stuff that they cared about building on this season better habits you know more connectivity all kind of showed in the same way oh that was really fun and interesting down the stretch and in the pistons game uh that was just not, you know, the Pacers did not do well. <laughs> their defense in that game was so bad. They were down significantly to the Pistons. They couldn't score well enough even at times when their bench was in there. And that was another point of growth, right? Seeing that bench unit step up and the mixing and matching go a little bit better, right? Better games from various back- backup big men were really important for the Pacers who really stunk it up on Friday. But the big thing from every Pacers game for the last two weeks is the same takeaways that I will have. For these last two games, they're young guys. They're key, key, clearly a part of the rotation next season, guys. Had solid weekends, right? Wara closes the season with a ridiculous streak of double-digit scoring of bajillion games in row. Aaron Smith has been rock-solid forever. Matherin with his best passing game of the season, 26 points, and then got rookie pranked when he got home his entire car being wrapped in saran wrap. Andrew Nembard had a solid weekend, right? All of these are the things that next season... The Pacers will look back and say, well, we saw this from this guy late in the season. We want to explore that this year. Or, oh, there's an injury and we need someone to step up. Well, we know these guys are capable or maybe more capable than they would have been otherwise if it weren't for these late season games. T.J. McConnell remembers them from when he was with Philly during the process era. They can be important and they are valuable for building forward and that is what was key for the Pacers this weekend. That was key for them for the last few weeks and it's what's key for them in the offseason. Continuing that internal development so guys can be Significantly better next season when expectations return for this Pacers team. But one and one over the weekend, zero oh and two certainly would have been better for draft positioning. But one and one is what happened, and that is what we move forward with. And there's nothing else to really say about it because when you shoot 55.9% from deep, which was the Pacers' second best all season. It's almost impossible to lose that game, and that's what happens Sunday night. Let's talk about draft stuff. I've had a lot of questions about this. I know a lot of people are confused about it because the Pacers have tiebreakers on tiebreakers on tiebreakers on another tiebreaker. Four of their picks will go through a tiebreaker process, and then another one will go through another lottery process. It's all very confusing. I'll try to break it down for you in the second segment so we can set the scene a little bit for the Pacers upcoming offseason. Before we do that, though i got to talk to you guys about prize picks. Daily fantasy made easy. Concept of prize picks, super simple. Pick 2-5 to five players while they score over or under their prize picks projection for a variety of stats. For example, LeBron James, more than 7.5 rebounds in a game. Kevin Durant, more or less than 6.5 assists. You can have up to 25 times your money. It's not you versus other people. It's you versus prize picks projection. They offer those projections on any sport that you watch. You can make your entries in a minute or less. It's super easy. It's safe. There's fast withdrawals and currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the PricePix app or go to PricePix.com and sign up to play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit 100, PricePix will give you 100. If you deposit 50, PricePix will give you 50. Don't forget to enter the promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. PricePix, daily fantasy made easy. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen. There are a million ways I could go. Last day of the NBA season, crazy impactful for draft positioning and playoff seating and everything, and the Warriors made it and the Lakers in the plan, and that's all exciting. You've got to go to Lockdown Timberwolves next. There is no doubt that that should be your second listen today. Ben McKean will break down uh, Rudy Gobert punching his teammate in the middle of a very important Timberwolves game. And then Jaden McDaniels breaking his hand, punching a wall. And apparently there's like leaked audio from the Timberwolves locker room. And somehow they still won. So they have two lives in the plan tournament. It's nuts up in Minnesota. Listen to Locked On Wolves slash Locked On Timberwolves to get your fix on that pro basketball team that had a nuts, nuts final day of the season. Speaking of nuts, the Pacers draft positioning We got clarity because the games are done, but there's no clarity because it's still confusing as possible. Entering the weekend, if you kept up on Twitter, I made a chart of every game the Pacers had rooting interest in over the course of the weekend. Between the Jazz winning so that they could get farther away from the Pacers, and Portland, and Orlando, and Houston, and... Uh, Washington and Memphis and Denver and all these teams losing or winning so that the Pacers' picks could be as good as possible. There were 19 games over the course of three days that the Pacers really cared about. Nine of them went the Pacers' way. The Cavs' pick wasn't totally crushed, although it did could be not so great. The Pacers didn't fall down to nine like they could have. They could fall to eight because of their own win, but also the Wizards won, which was nice. The Rockets won both of their games, but then the Spurs won. There was a lot of layers to everything and we'll get to it all in a second but the summary is none of the Pacers picks have been decided except for one the Pacers first round pick they get from the Boston Celtics from the Malcolm Brogdon trade last summer that's locked that's done no matter what happens in the next two months that will be the 29th pick in the NBA draft whether the Pacers make it or not different question different podcast will drive dive into their draft situation why it's going to be very fascinating um, next week maybe late this week I have a lot of planning to do because it all kind of circles around the Pacers timing for a couple of events this week. Um, but anyway, that's the only locked in pick for the Pacers. So we'll just go in top pick to worst pick order. And let me explain to you why the rest of the Pacers picks are not locked in. So the Pacers won their final game. Uh, the Wizards won their game Friday as well. Uh, they beat the Heat, which the Pacers were happy about that for many reasons, although it ended up not mattering uh, that the Heat were not trying in their final game either way. That means both the Wizards and the Pacers are 35-47. and They are tied for seventh in the inverse innings. Orlando finishes one game ahead, Portland two games ahead. So the Pacers could have been tied for sixth had they lost. They're tied for seventh instead, so the ties just moved somewhere else in the end. So how this works for the lottery is... um, The Pacers and Wizards will split the odds of the 7th best team in the lottery and the 8th best team in the lottery. So both of them have about a 29.2% chance at moving into the top four and about a 6.75% chance at the number one pick. Had the Pacers been tied with the Magic in the sixth slot, it'd be about a 34%, a little over that chance at a top four pick. So the Pacers last day, about a 5% change because they won that game. Against the Knicks, you could argue in the Wemby and draft, that's significant. You could also argue, like I didn't argue this in the first game, and I guess I just said this, that there's almost literally nothing they could do. You could also argue that any of their first 34 wins could have been games that matter just as much as the last game if you wanted to, and I would be receptive to that as well. I don't want to get into that. What I do want to get into is there's a 5% difference, but either way, that is split. The Pacers do not get better or worse odds than the Wizards based on the coin flip. What what there is is something I just said, a coin flip. And technically, it's a random drawing. How this works is last year, the NBA did it on uh, April 18th. I reached out to the league looking for clarity on the date this year. I'll tweet it when I get it. Don't have it yet. But how this works is there's a random drawing to determine which team picks higher. So what will happen is. Just between those two teams, a random drawing will say, you know, pretending the Pacers win, just because it's Pacers podcast, a random drawing will say the Pacers win, and if the Pacers win the drawing, they get the higher first-round pick and the worst second-round pick. So if they won, they would be seventh in the inverse innings and the Wizards would be eighth. Now, they would still have the same lottery odds. Both the Pacers and Wizards would have the same odds. So even if the Pacers lose the drawing, they have the same odds at p- a top four picks, same odds at a number one pick. But what it does mean is if neither team jumps up in the lottery, the team that wins the drawing is higher. So in this hypothetical, the Pacers win the drawing, but then neither them or Washington move up into the top four via the lottery. They would be slotted in one pick ahead of the Wizards. So it's still critically important that drawing is for this draft positioning. If I use the term coin flip to, de- to describe this drawing, it's because when it's two teams, it's a 50-50 chance of winning the drawing, which is a coin flip's chance. Random drawing is technically more accurate because there can be three teams and then it's not a coin flip. But you get the idea. A coin flip, random drawing, whatever, that will determine who finishes ahead in this. So the Pacers' first pick in the draft it will first go through that drawing. And then either they'll be ahead or behind the Wizards in the draft order pending lottery. Then the lottery will happen, which, again, big picture. I'll do a whole show on this as well. Pacers have 29-ish percent chance at top four and about a six, a little under 7 percent chance. At the number one pick in the draft. So that's one of the Pacers first rounders. Still in limbo. The best it can be is one technically. Um, But seven if they win the drawing. Eight if they lose it. The lowest it could be if four teams from behind them jump into the top four. And it was a drawing would be 12. The exceedingly likely like 95% value range is somewhere between like seven and nine. So we'll see. They cannot be five or six. Remember that when deciding on your values for this team so that's the Pacers first overall pick still TBD after the Wizards and Pacers both win over the weekend and Orlando does not win over the weekend but the Jazz did pick up a win so that separated the Pacers from dropping down another tier the second Pacers pick is the Cavs first round pick guess what that's going through a random drawing just like the first pick the Cavs finished 51 and 31. The Memphis Grizzlies finished 51 and 31. Uh the Grizzlies did win Friday. They beat the Bucs, but then they were not trying at all on Sunday. Neither ne- were the Thunder, to be fair, but the Thunder tried a little bit harder and the Grizzlies lost. So had the Grizzlies won Sunday, the Cavs pick would be settled, but they did not. So Memphis and Cleveland both 51 and 31. Denver did win over the weekend. Philly won twice over the weekend. So both of those teams avoided being in this tie, but the Cavs. And Grizzlies tied at 25. Another random drawing will happen there. Pacers will, of course, hope the Cavs win that, so they get picked 25 instead of 26. That one's simple. That's it. There's no lottery afterwards. So, so far, what you've heard is you hope the Pacers win a drawing and you hope the Cavs win a drawing. The Pacers' third first third pick, excuse me, is the Celtics pick. Done. That one's easy. It's 29. No discussion needed. The Pacers' fourth pick. Hooey! This was a sweaty one. Coming down to the wire for the Pacers. The Rockets' second rounder. Talked about it a lot. The Pacers get this pick. If it's 32 or 31, but the Pistons clinched the worst record a while ago, they don't get it if it's 33. If it's 33, it goes to the Celtics, and the Pacers instead get a different pick. So what happened? The Rockets had two games this weekend. Had they lost just once, they would have secured at least a coin flip for the pick. Uh, Had they lost twice, they would have clinched the Pacers get it. They actually won both of their games. They were playing two tanktastic teams, the Hornets and Wizards, but somehow they won both of them. Uh, Both of them came down to the wire as well, but the Rockets pulled out both. So the Pacers ended up needing a Spurs win to tie those two teams in the standings to give the Rockets a chance at being bottom two. Lo and behold, the Spurs draw the Mavericks on the last day of the season, and the Mavericks were the most desperate team in the NBA, maybe one of the most desperate teams in a while to lose on the final day of the season. So the Spurs did win. So in the end, both the Spurs and Rockets finished 22 and 60, meaning they will also go through a coin flip tiebreaker to determine who finishes ahead in their pick. Now, this one's different. This is the second round, remember. So how these coin flips random draws work is the team that wins the drawing gets the better pick in the first round, and the team that loses gets the better pick in the second round. So the Pacers actually want the Spurs to win that random drawing, so the Spurs get the second slot in the draft, and then the Rockets would get pick 32, and that would thus be sent to the Pacers. If that pick is not sent to the Pacers. Instead the Pacers would get the Miami Heat's second round pick, which is in a tiebreaker, which will also go through a coin flip. The Heat are tied with the Clippers and Golden State Warriors at 44 and 38. That one is a random drawing, not a coin flip, a 1 in 3 chance. The best it could be is 48, the worst it could be is 50. The Pacers will hope the Heat lose that tiebreaker just in case so that pick can also be as high as possible so the pacers uh will either get pick 32 or somewhere between 48 and 50 pending the results of all these coin break tiebreak coin flip tiebreakers whatever word you want to use and the pacers fifth and final pick the second rounder they got one of the three second rounders they got from the bucks in the george hill jordan Wara uh all complicated trade deadline trades is from the Cavs. and guess what that is also dependent on the same Random drawing coin flip that will decide the Cavs' first round pick. So, hey, the Pacers will either get pick 25 and 56 from the Cavs or they'll get pick 26 and 55. They'll obviously prefer the first round pick be higher in that instance since we're talking about picks in the late 50s. But what a weekend it was for the Pacers. The Cavs lost their only game from over the weekend. The the Magic lost both of their games. The Rockets won both of their games. The Blazers lost both of their games. The Spurs pulled it out against the Mavs. I mean, it was all just chaos. And again, of the 19 games, the Pacers had their eyes on. Nine of them go in the Pacers' favor. They had a great start and then a slower finish. I was really surprised to see uh, the Heat beat the Magic in the Udonis-Haslam Bowl. Really exciting game for Udonis-Haslam. I did not think the Rockets would win both of their games over the weekend. And Spurs-Mavs, obviously... Became critical, but I thought we would perhaps see uh, the Rockets win one. But this is where the Pacers are. A lot will come down to these tiebreakers. Again, last year, they were on April 18th. Now it's April 9th. This will come out on April 10th. So maybe a little over a week from now or so. Again, we will see what date that ends up being. Perhaps it's the 17th. They just do it on a Monday again right after the playoffs start. We'll see. We'll break it all down here on Lockdown Pacers. As you know, we do, and I'll have all the details as soon as possible. That's the end of the Pacers season. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. A lot happened this season, and it's very fun to break all this down for me. I'll have a post-mortem on this team later. we are talking more about this team's offseason later this week and their season in general as time progresses. But I want to opine one more time for a few more minutes about this squad, if you'll let me. Before we do that, though, got to talk to you guys about ultimate basketball gm coolest game i've played in a long time i've always thought i could be the greatest nba gm i would not be to be totally clear if you've had the same thought and fantasized about managing your own basketball franchise go download ultimate pro basketball gm right now the game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise playing through seasons leading your team and fans to glory building a dynasty you can deal with personalities of your team, hire the right coaches, trade and train players, make picks, navigate your franchise through free agency, all in this challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball Gym, completely free, playable offline, on the go, and as you want. We've got a Locked On NBA hosts. Uh, little war going on so you can win the most titles. Um, Pat the designer, Locked On bulls host, is, is crushing us. A lot of trash talk. Uh, you can do that with your friends. It's super fun. Locked On pagers. listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code Locked On in the game store. So make sure to check it out to so download the game. Just visit ProBasketballGM.com, scan the code, or look it up on the app stores. That's ProBasketballGM.com. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. Thank you, as always for making lockdown pacers your first listen today and every single day for your second listen any of the play-in teams previewing their upcoming matchup would be a good place to go i already said locked on wolves for your second listen after the first segment so let's do an east play-in game this time how about the elimination game check out locked on raptors with sean woodley bulls raptors playing for their lives two teams that thought they would be much better off this season than they actually are. Both shows you should check out ahead of that play game. I and mean, who's not playing a play-in game? The Indiana Pacers, who, look, I think, I said this at the time it happened, the fact that this team could end up with top seven lottery odds and was not eliminated from the play-in until April, pretty fascinating stuff. This season for the Pacers, to me, exceeded expectations somewhat significantly, I know that that is not the common thought. But before the season, uh, for those of you who have been listening for a long time or listen to every episode, thank you if you do, by the way, when I would talk about players and preview their season, one of the questions I asked was, how critical are they to the Pacers' success? Because that question was different for every player, but also because the Pacers' success could be defined in multiple ways this season. If the Pacers are going to win a lot or win more than people thought, how important would this player be? Right? Miles Turner, Tyrese Halbert, obviously... They're critically important to the Pacers being good, and they were decidedly so back then too. But the other way I talked about it was, if this team is in development mode all season and they finish as one of the worst teams in the league, how important are they to the Pacers' success? In that way, Kendall Brown, Andrew Nambard, Benedict Mather, and every young player, right, Get them getting better was critically important. And if you'll recall, I asked Rick Carlisle at Media Day last year, Rick, you know, this team, he, he said they are in a new era. I said, what would success look like to you with a group like this with new goals in a new era. And he said, you know, you'll see it with the eye test week to week, month to month, whatever span you want to use. You'll see guys getting better. And so if you want to cut the Pacers season into two pies, did young players get better or show promise or show they're a building block? Heck yeah. Miles Turner, way better. Tyrese Halliburton, all-star, significantly better than last year. Benedict Matherin, some struggles in between, improved in many ways and also showed that could be a massive building block for this team. Andrew Dembard went from out of the rotation to an off-ball starter to a worthy point guard, right? Many core young players proved to be useful. Aaron Neesmith is going to be a rotation player for this team going forward. If he's a starter or bench player, who knows? But before the season, I wasn't sure he'd be in their top nine of their rotation. He was one of their best defenders all season. Jordan Wara, same thing, likely locked up or at least pent-holed in for a rotation spot next season. Great find on the trade market. Some young centers maybe didn't develop as much as the Pacers would have wanted, but I think in general, if you look at their crop of young players, most of them improved or were better than they were to start the season and improved in a way that you could say, yes, this is tangibly important to the Pacers' success next season, or this player is critical in evaluating what the Pacers need as they build on to you know, what pieces they'll need. Okay, they This is clear how much a a wing shooter can help. If we get the best version of that, that'd be great. Or this type of big or this type of guard. Very helpful. Pacers also had success. They won 35 games. Before the season, when we ran through the schedules, Adam Friedman and I, we picked every wins and loss out so we could see all the back-to-backs, all the hard opponents. Where is all the tough stuff? I predicted 26 wins for this Pacers team. That was also higher than a lot of the, the prognosticators, the modelers, the Vegas people. All less than 26. Pacers smashed it. They exceeded their win totals in some Vegas lines at the halfway point when they were 23 and 18. I think that's also an interesting way to look at the Pacers season. They won more than people thought, which is key to noticing that they have a base in place to be successful. And that would be my last thought about this Pacers season. And I've floated this by a few people, but I wanted to get it out there publicly on the record. There's a key thing about this Pacers season, a key stat or record that I think you could look at very optimistically about the team's future or very pessimistically, just from the stat itself, and that is 26 and 26-22. That is the Pacers' record when both Miles Turner and Tyrese Halberton played this season. It's about a 44-win pace, which guess what? That's the sixth seed in the East this season. The Pacers were a playoff-level team with just those two guys on the floor. That's not accounting for anyone else on the roster being available or not. You could probably filter it out. For one or two more guys and make it look even better if you truly wanted. But I say that to say it's very easy to point to that and say the Pacers are close to being good. If these two guys play more or a lot and they both played, Miles Turner bounced back health wise, right? Had he, he played a little more down the stretch, could have got close to 70 games. Halliburton played a lot, right? Not down the stretch. You get what I'm saying. Could have been closer to a playoff team. You could also very easily point to that and say, wow, if just one of them is out, the Pacers do not have enough talent at all. Right, That means they went 9-23 and 23 when just one of them was out, not even considering the games with both of them out. And that means they have a long way to go in acquiring talent around them. I'm receptive to both lines of thinking, but I think that that number is a good way to look back on this Pacers season. They were both great when they were healthy and good, but when they didn't or they changed your team up a little bit, they also showed that they have a long way to go. And that's what's setting up this offseason is towing that line, improving the team, but still recognizing this is a long-term project. That's really tricky. It's good that the Pacers have optionality, something they always care about, but getting better while still realizing you've got a long way to go and that this is a project, right? You got to crawl, walk, run. Maybe the Pacers are ready to run. I would think one more walking season would go a long way for them, but they'll have to figure all that out in the offseason after what I consider, again, a very successful first season of a new era high level stuff. We'll dig into this more with probably rep hour next week. Listen, the Pacers have three pending free agents. Four if you count their two, five if you count their two-way slots, but three roster spots available. That's what five draft picks and a ton of cap space. That math does not add up at all. They're going to have to either trade people away or trade draft picks away or be extremely inactive on the free agency market. And I highly doubt they'll be that. And so in that way, a lot of movement Could be coming for the Pacers just by default, just by roster crunch necessity, not because they feel like they need to, not because they want to do one thing or the other, because they'll have to. That's what their roster spot numbers dictate. So what will that look like? Small kick the can down the road moves so they're ready to use their resources when it's time to run. Does that mean going forward a little more now? Does that mean searching for more pieces that can be revealing in terms of how a skill set fits with this team? I don't know. And I think there, there are a lot of strategies that make sense. And as long as the Pacers are aligned in a vision and do one plan and not a bunch at the same time, that'll all work out. But we'll see. It's going to be a hectic offseason for the Pacers. But I think this was a successful season for the team, though I understand at least some of the arguments on the flip side. Hey, you who's still listening after 30 minutes. Thank you so much for listening to Locked on Pacers today and all season long. It was really fun for me to do this all year. And my first year doing this as a job full time, including the writing, was super fun. I learned a lot. It was really, really tricky at times. I have a lot of learning to do, and I hope to be better at it next year. And I hope to be better at podcasting next year, being a little more forceful with my takes and backing it up. That's all I can hope for. And I hope you guys continue to listen to the offseason. Some of this cap stuff and offseason stuff that I love, it's all coming here on the Locked on Pacers podcast. You'll get all the draft, salary cap, trade details that you need right here on Locked on Pacers. We'll get into really scouting in about two, three weeks as this we wrap up this Pacers season as it was tomorrow. We're talking exit interviews Wednesday. We'll be talking about Kevin Pritchard's presser Thursday, a little post-mortem on this team with the guest TBD Friday. I want to talk about what Pacers fans should watch for in the playoffs next week. We'll talk a little off season stuff, man. Oh man, is there going to be a lot of fun stuff coming here on the lockdown Pacers podcast. You won't want to miss it. So thank you so much for always listening and please continue to stay with us as we venture into the off season. Hope everybody had a great weekend and a great Easter with your family. If you celebrated. Take care. We'll see you soon.